May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O God, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Well, thanks so much for laying on a good Aussie summer for me so that I might feel quite at home. I bring you greetings from the Primate of Australia and Archbishop of Melbourne, Dr. Philip Freer, and from the people of St. Paul's Cathedral in Melbourne. Though we are 10,500 miles apart, your cathedral is very much remembered in ours, not only in our shared dedication, but quite literally in stone. Part of your reredos has been incorporated into one of our chapels, and a beautiful carving from your choir stools was presented to us on the occasion of our centenary. Our shared story is brought to life by visits like mine today, as well as by sharing in mission. Last year, we were delighted to join with you in creating greater awareness on water justice. This year, we're sharing with you in the Care of Creation initiative, highlighting our joint commitment to safeguarding the world around us. These kinds of shared initiatives across the Anglican Communion are visible signs of our belonging together. In our second lesson from the Epistle to the Romans, our mutual patron saint, St. Paul, reminds us that we can only ever grow in communion. Paul tells the Romans that as Christians, we do not live to ourselves. As Christians, we always live in community. We're never alone, but we belong to one another and to Christ. From that mutual belonging flow a number of obligations for the Christian community, Paul tells. The obligation to be generous in spirit and support one another through our means, our money. The commitment to be welcoming to those who are different from ourselves and the responsibility not to judge one another. Paul spells out these three obligations so clearly because unity and belonging isn't our natural state of being. We have the tendency to define ourselves by allying ourselves with some and separating ourselves from others. Belonging is hard-earned. We have to work and work together in order to maintain our Christ-willed unity, Paul knows. Our second lesson concludes Paul's appeal to the Roman communities to forego their own division. Christian identity, Paul tells them, is defined by our shared allegiance to Christ. We plead that allegiance at our baptisms. Our belonging is lifelong, and life-giving, and it extends beyond death, Paul explains. Whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. And that belonging was bought for us at great cost, Paul reminds us. Christ died and lived again so that he might be Lord of the dead as well as of the living. That is why maintaining our unity is such costly business and it draws on all that we have 
both our material and our spiritual gifts. The simplest way in which we Christians make visible our unity is when we share our money, our resources to build or to rebuild community. 650 miles north of Melbourne, deep in the outback, lies the small town of Wilcannia. I'm sure most of you will have heard of it. It's got a tiny community of Anglicans who worship once a month. But following the Blitz, that small community sent their money to help restore this cathedral. In 1945, we were able to demonstrate our belonging together by enabling this magnificent place of worship to rise again from the ashes of the Blitz through sacrificial giving and sharing our scarce post-war resources with one another. Contribute to the needs of the saints, Paul puts it earlier in Romans, and hold fast to that which is good. A second way in which we can express the unity of the body of Christ, Paul tells us, is by welcoming people into our community who are radically different from ourselves. In the case of the Roman Christians, this included people who had extraordinarily different views on fundamental principles, what to eat and when to keep the weekend. Instead of rejection and uniformity, Paul instructed them to exercise a ministry of acceptance and unity. Welcoming people who are different from ourselves is a hallmark of Christian community. In the chapter after our second lesson, Paul insists, welcome one another just as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. In welcoming one another, we live out the welcome we ourselves received in baptism, complete acceptance by Christ of who we are, regardless of our race or our language, gender or sexual orientation, social background, or indeed our length of discipleship. The kind of welcome that proved to be a stumbling block in Paul's time was that of Gentile Christians, pagan rather than Jewish believers. Yet the same unacceptable welcome, as it were, of the first century radically transformed the Christian community. Only a chapter following today's lesson, Paul explains that Christ has accomplished through me, Paul, to win obedience from the Gentiles by word and deed. And he points to multiple signs and wonders by the spirit of the power of God among the Christian churches of the Mediterranean as proof of that God-willed truth. At our St. Paul's Cathedral, for the, for the past five years, we've displayed a 30-foot banner on our south spire. Let's fully welcome refugees, it reads. When we first displayed our banner, we did so out of a sense of outrage that the Australian government had proceeded to establish offshore detention centers in third nations. The transformational effect on our cathedral of our welcome to migrants and refugees, however, did not lie 
in our swaying public opinion. So far, we haven't succeeded in persuading the Australian government to abandon its policies. Instead, we found that our congregations were transformed. Countless migrants and refugees visited our St. Paul's and asked us why we were welcoming them when so many were not. Since beginning this intentional welcome to migrants and refugees through advocacy and English classes, through teaching, worship, and Bible studies in basic English, through shared meals, and by providing a place of safety, friendship, and belonging, our congregations have visibly changed. Today, our 18 congregations include people from all ages of more than 25 nations. We make visible our sense of belonging together, our built community, when we go out to welcome people who are different from ourselves. Extend hospitality to strangers, Paul tells us, and love one another with mutual affection. The final way in which we may make visible the communion we enjoy in Christ is by inviting people to walk with us, walking together in love, Paul puts it in our second lesson, rather than exclude or condemn them. Who are you to pass judgment? Paul challenges us in our second lesson. Who are we to judge fellow servants of Christ? Christ himself will be our judge and will judge our brothers and sisters, not we, Paul affirms. It is before Christ, their Lord, that they stand or fall. And in the light of that knowledge, we have to radically rethink our natural tendency of ruling fellow Christians in or out. Each one of us will be accountable for their own deeds before God, Paul tells us in our second lesson, therefore let us no longer pass judgment on one another. Instead, Paul encourages us, let us resolve never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of one another. It is by walking together in love and learning from one another that we may both grow and enable one another to make better judgments rather than be judgmental. Our cathedral stands on the traditional lands of the Kulin nation, the first people to settle what we now call Melbourne more than 60,000 years ago. When the first British settlements were established, the Kulin nation had their lands taken and were moved to reservations. There they were deprived of their language, culture, and spirituality. The two principal reservations in the state of Victoria were run by the Anglican Church. And many indigenous people in our state today identify as Church of England. The way in which for more than 150 years, many Australians judged indigenous Christians to be of less worth than white colonial Christians is deeply shameful to me. Rather than walk together in love, we chose to segregate and exclude, to destroy culture and community, and we despised our brother and sister. And yet, faith 
remains central for most First Australians, as it does for so many other excluded communities. Over the past years at our St Paul's, we've chosen to walk together with Indigenous people. We spend a lot of time listening and learning to make better judgments. That listening has often been very unsettling and brought up issues of deliberate persecution, ongoing systemic discrimination and exclusion. This year, we brought together Indigenous artists to work inside our St Paul's for a six-month arts project, Yakama Yapanemuk, which means come together in the Yorta Yorta language of central Victoria. When I launched the exhibition last month, one of the artists told me, I brought together my Aboriginal identity and my Church of England identity in these paintings. In the same way I believe that we can all grow together when we choose to walk together in love, not apart from one another. When instead of judging and excluding one another, we allow ourselves to be enriched by our diverse identities and our shared faith. Hate what is evil, love what is genuine, Paul put it, and live in harmony with one another. At every stage of our life as Christians, we are the Lord's, Paul encourages us in our second lesson. We never live to ourselves. We're given life and community through Christ who gave his own life so that you may belong to one another as Paul tells. And as Anglicans, we can trace special bonds of belonging across the Anglican Communion, from Canterbury to Karachi, Abuja to Atlanta, Jerusalem to Rio de Janeiro, Melbourne to Marlebone, and Yukon to York. Our unity, our communion, is a precious gift from Christ. And maintaining it is costly, and it will require all of our God-given gifts. And so, brothers and sisters, it is my prayer for you and for me that we together may be enabled to build and strengthen our communion with one another and with Christ and as Anglicans across this globe in the way in which we support one another through our gifts and generosity of spirit. That we will remain and refrain from condemning one another and instead listen and learn from one another to make better, more Christ-like judgments. And that we may extend our communion in the way we reach out to and include those who are different from ourselves. If it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Paul charges us and he exhorts us Overcome evil with good. Now to him who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly far more than all we can ask or imagine, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever.
and ever. Amen.